0: A number of people have reached out to check that we're okay after the hurricane. The short answer is we're fine. However, like our neighbours, we had some minor damage to our property. This episode was recorded the day of the hurricane, but only edited after we regained power. In a change to the next episode, episode 39, we will talk about how a community recovers from a hurricane. In the meantime, play the music.
1: So it's uh, welcome to episode 38 of An American Journey with myself, Michael Moran, and Julian Bishop. In tonight's episode, we're going to look at why all Americans think Julian has met the Queen. We're going to give our review of Cleveland as a place to visit. And finally, we're going to look at what Americans do with all that space they have in their houses. Julian, tell me why all Americans think you have met the Queen. By the way, have you met the Queen? Well, sadly, the answer
0: is yes. <laughs> it's an excellent question to ask. I was going to actually spring that one on you right at the end. Yes, yeah, she was the patron of the school I went to. So I met her once in that capacity. And I have actually been to, well, been to several of her houses, but I have been into uh, the main... Um, room they entertain in in uh, buckingham palace as well uh, because i once uh, met the hr director for the royal family many moons ago in a in a very very old part of my career
1: i don't think say you went to one of the royal palaces justifies you met the queen
0: i did when i was at school
1: okay uh, let's already agree that's about royal connections i have been to a royal garden party a buckingham have palace you? I have, but I wasn't in the line, so I didn't meet the Queen. My beloved has worked with Prince Charles and Camilla, met Diana uh, in her capacity as a coach. So she worked with his Princess Trust. So we do have some connections. And my fellow director of 1080, Liz seabag Fury, and the connections in the seabag Fury, her husband was a junior equerry to the Queen. I think we can talk a little bit knowledgeably about the royal family, but let's go back to the nub of the issue. Why do Americans always express an interest in have you met the royal family?
0: The reason that a lot of Americans ask about it is uh, because it's a conversation starter and also because they have some interest in it. Those are the two main reasons I think they ask. And then obviously in recent weeks, They've been asking about the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II and, uh, and and some questions about Charles III as well. Yeah, so there clearly is an interest in, in the US about it. And you see that, for example, you know, the checkout at the supermarket, as well as magazines about the Kardashians. There will also be magazines which feature all of the members of the royal family as well. And then you have programs. Um, have you watched The Crown, Michael?
1: No, I haven't, but I know it's the next week, and it's a a bestseller on their portfolio of programmes, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and it's really very good. Many Americans have watched that, and they want to talk about their love for that TV show. And I think for the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II, even though that began at 6 a.m., there were 11.4 million Americans watching that funeral.
1: Ah, let me just fact-check that. I listened to more or less today. Um, Yes, What's the total American population?
0: 330 million and change.
1: Yeah, so and I think the stat quote is about 3% of the population watched it.
0: Yeah, that would be about right, wouldn't it?
1: Uh, 11 million. So, so, so about 11, so 11 million people got up early in the morning to watch it. Yeah. Uh, remember back episodes when I interviewed Grant? Okay. Yes. His wife, Mary, she went and queued to see The Body in State.
0: Yes. And I have friends who did the same as well. You didn't do that yourself then, Michael?
1: Absolutely not. You know I'm not a royalist. Although David Beckham did. Now, fair deuce to David Beckham in his application to become Sir David Beckham. We all think now that was the absolute dicker for him to move from Mr. Audrey Beckham to Sir David Beckham because he queued something like 12 hours to see the Queen's yeah. tape.
0: So, that that's good. It did surprise me that there were so many people who lined up for basically a day to just walk past a body and not a body they can see. It's not like in the US where mm-hmm. it's open cask. You wander past a coffin which, you know, may or may not have the Queen inside it.
1: Get behind so why Americans like the monarchy. So, yeah. let, let me put a few ideas out to you, Julian, and I want to get your take on it. So, the first mm-hmm. one is, is it because it is a republic, you know, and and you you have a president, a maximum they only last eight years, don't they? So whereas sort of monarchy gives you stability, a sort of a, some sort of there's something with the the royal connection of having a head of state. Do you think Americans secretly want a monarchy? Is is that what it attracts them to our Queen and royal family?
0: I I don't think it's that reason. It may be for a few, but I don't think that's the general reason that the monarchy is uh, interesting to the Americans. If you take something like the Queen, you know, she was head of UK state for 30% of the US's history. Yeah. That's, a, that's an extremely long time. I think they see it more of a, as a sort of branch of celebrity. In a way, she's ultra celebrity, but she doesn't necessarily have too many of the downsides of, you know, some of the Hollywood celebrity, which are, you know, more typical in the States. I think that is attractive to many Americans. They like celebrity, and she is an ultra-celebrity. There are lots of people who star in films, but, you know, there's only one queen, isn't there? Which is why she's called The Queen.
1: Okay, so let's go go back one. Do you think her popularity over the last 10 years has increased or decreased? Because I'm going to make the case, and certainly things like Netflix's programme, it's sort of the... It is about celebrity. It's also... What you don't know or, or the fact that we know the, the royal family have fallen out or we know the fact that Charles had a mistress and, you know, the, you know Diana died in tragic circumstances. That's all, it's this sort of makes us more interested in them because of what we don't know and the intrigue and, and speculation. Right. More Getting more or less interested in them?
0: I don't think I can really tell, but I do have an observation on something you've just said, and that is, in the main the Queen has never really sought out publicity. You know, there's been a few times that the royal family have allowed the press into something they're doing, like it's a royal knockout, something like that. But in the main, there are still so many secrets about the royal family because they don't seek out the media. And that is in stark contrast, for example, to, you know, the Kardashians or, you know, somebody's got a new film out or, you know, Meghan and Harry. And that's obviously what has caused a schism between the royal family and Meghan and Harry because they are doing things which, you know, this current royal family don't do. You don't do those things, and then suddenly Meghan and Harry are doing them. Yeah, so I think there is something of a mystique. I mean, to me, it's a little bit of a mystery. You know, we call her the queen, but there are other queens. Mm. I know she's the queen of multiple countries, but there are at least 20 others that I can think of in Europe and elsewhere. Uh, and they don't have the same cachet, you know, the Queen of Japan uh, or Denmark or Bahrain. We really couldn't say anything about those, those people. But the Queen, um, somehow, you know, everyone in the world seems to know who, who she is.
1: If you lived in Denmark, though, presumably you would know more about the king and queen of Denmark. So, so are we being slightly fair? Well, I think it's interesting. Well, yeah, but I'm, I'm
0: living in the US, and everyone knows who the queen is. Okay, but okay, they don't probably even know that Japan or Denmark has a queen.
1: Okay, okay, okay. I get that. Yes, I'll give you that. Mm-hmm. But what is interesting in terms of say Australia and Canadians, the Canadians, that they still have her as their nominal head of state. Now, my my sense is in Australia, Republican is stronger. But in the Canadians, yeah, I think the royal family is stronger than ever. I mean, would, 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 would that be fair?
0: Well, I don't know. I, th- I think it's fair to say there's a majority who favour continuing with her as, uh, or with Charles as head of state. But I don't know that that will necessarily last. I think there are now only 16 countries with King Charles III as head of state. And I think that number will dwindle further why would you have a head of state who lives on the other side of the world? Mm. Doesn't make a lot of sense. If you're Australia, you're positioning yourself within Asia, probably. Yeah. Because that's where you're located. To me, I'm asked all the time, if once somebody uh, knows that I'm British, there's one of two topics for conversation, the royal family or whatever British TV program they've been watching. Doc Martin or whatever. Those are the two sort of conversation <laughs> and, starters. And the combination of Netflix
1: with and The Queen, you can have the same topic on one conversation, Julia. That's yes. right,
0: yeah. Yeah. This story may be very familiar to British people, but less so for our American listeners. I did enjoy the recent story uh, told about the Queen by her bodyguard. I don't know whether you heard this one. The Queen and her bodyguard were out walking uh, near Balmoral, and they came across a US tourist who was uh, walking there too, and he uh, asked the queen, who he didn't recognize, where she lived. And she told him, uh, well, I I live in London, uh, but I have a holiday home near here, and I've been coming here for the last 80 years. And he was very excited by this. And he said, oh, have you ever met the queen? And the queen responded, she said, no, I haven't. But uh, Dick, who was the name of her bodyguard, has met her on many occasions. And quick as a flash, the the U.S. Uh, tourist started directing his questions towards Dick. You know what's she like? You know, well, well, she's a bit cantankerous, uh, but she's got a good sense of humor. And then the American tourist passed his camera to the Queen and said, "Could you take a photo of me and Dick?" You know, this man who's met the Queen. And so the Queen, you know, promptly obliged and took the photo, which I think is a is a nice story about um, somebody who was a who was a very nice woman. <laughs>
1: And I, I thought, so to the end, the version I heard, that um, he, the Queen also appeared in the selfie. And she then said, I would love to see when he shows it to his friends and he recognises that it was the Queen he was talking to.
0: Uh, okay, I didn't hear that bit. That, so.
1: that gives me now... Now, my last joke with you, Julian, did not land well. I was very disappointed about that. <laughs> but I, have n- I do have another joke. Do about you? A queen, a queen. Okay. And, 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 and allegedly a true story because my contacts tell me this. And I can't remember the name of the French president because obviously they changed. It wasn't Macron, maybe before. Uh, how would you call it? A re- reception, a royal reception for the French president. Who is visiting London? And he has a very long table, lots of people. He's sitting opposite the Queen and the then Duke of Edinburgh who is alive. Uh, he says, "Mom, um, how many French presidents have you met?" And the Duke of Edinburgh chips in and says, "Shall we count Joan of Arc?" <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yes, that's no, a I think really you laugh at that one. to story, anyway. So, Julian, have you been to Cleveland? I have,
0: on a number of occasions, yeah.
1: That's good, because I haven't. Mm-hmm. And when I did my research for the session, as I always do, and I get my go-to place is Wikipedia to start with, right. I, I was very excited to yeah. see about Cleveland. Because before that, I probably only knew two things about Cleveland. I knew it was the home of the Hall of Fame for rock and roll. Yeah. And I knew about the Cleveland Browns. But other than that, I knew nothing about it. Okay. And what Wikipedia has told me, and maybe it helped me, that actually it's not too dissimilar to Chicago in terms of right. architecture, et cetera, being on the lake. So tell our audience why you think Cleveland should be on the list for them to visit. We haven't
0: actually covered too many of these northern US cities, which at one stage in the last century were pretty powerful and uh, exciting places. So, you know, Detroit or Pittsburgh or whatever. Um, How much do you know about the history of Cleveland, Michael?
1: Um, Not a lot. Obviously, I know because of the the nature of the St. Lawrence Seaway, it became a very significant port, but that's about it, really. So,
0: obviously, it's Pre-colonial history, you know, it had Native Americans within it, or at least, you know, an hour south of it. You know, Medina County, they have been there since around about ten thousand five hundred BC, but they had left the region uh, at the time of colonization. Uh, And in seventeen ninety six, General Cleveland came across the place, and uh, it was after him that the city is named. And in 1803 the state of Ohio was created and they started to create some infrastructure so the Ohio canal was created you know a number of uh, ports on the great lakes were was, were started uh, and they started to install uh, railroads but even so by 1840 uh, it was still a village you know around about 4000 people but it grew very rapidly in the late 19th century particularly after the civil war uh, so by 1900 it had 381,000 and by 1920 it had 900,000 most of these were immigrants from ireland and germany but it was a very big important thriving city it had a lot of uh, very large companies so at one point it was the you know the second city in terms of business uh, so you got Standard Oil, the Rockefellers were based there and all their oil refinery businesses. You had a number of banks, car companies that produced tires and law firms and big hospitals and so forth. Uh, and by the 1920s, it was the fifth largest city in the US. Comparing that to now, it's the uh, the fifty fourth largest city and the thirty fourth largest metro, so you know it's much smaller now, you know around about three hundred and seventy thousand people so it's lost a lot of people in the twentieth century in the you know before the second world war, there was a large migration of African Americans from the south to the north, and uh, they went to many cities in the north, but one of the cities they went to was Cleveland you know, so that's its history. Obviously, if you go from 900,000 to 370,000, that's a massive exodus of people. So it has had a lot of problems with crime and jobs and so forth, you know, had a...
1: Where did the 600,000 people go? Because I, 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 I picked up that in one stage, it was 900,000, then it's yeah. 200,000, 360. Ooh, what happened to all those people? Where did they go?
0: Well, they chose to live elsewhere because the jobs weren't there, crime increased, so they chose to go elsewhere. They were more mobile. Exactly where they went, I don't know, I've never seen that redistribution, but one would guess, you know, many of them went out west, you know, in the early part of the 20th century where there's more opportunity for them, or sort of the the um, mid-20th century. And then as uh, air conditioning started to be common, many of them went or returned south, uh, because that's where the opportunity was. And I remember when I first went to Cleveland, which must have been 1998 or something, it had a really quite a miserable reputation at the time. You know, okay. it was uh, you know, full of crime and full of uh, danger. But it does have this sort of wonderful history, and particularly in the progressive area of uh, history, there was, a, a, you know, a lot of central Cleveland, you know, have these sort of wonderful theatre districts and art galleries and orchestras, which are, you know, which were as a result of that progressive era of history and being in a city which was, you know, powerful and rich at that time.
1: And quite a lot of impressive Art Deco buildings, yes?
0: Many parts of it are, ver- are very attractive.
1: Now, one thing you didn't mention about the 1920s, is because it had a name change, didn't it? It used to be Cleveland. It had an A in it and they dropped the A. Well,
0: General Cleveland had an A in it and then they dropped it. And I don't know when they dropped it or even why they dropped it, but I know why it had an A in it because General Cleveland had an A in his name. Yeah. So there is quite a lot to do there. What particularly, you know, you haven't been there, but as you started reading about it, what, you know, why did you look at it and say, well, that sounds quite an interesting place?
1: Well, notwithstanding the Art Deco architecture, because I liked mm-hmm. like the first thing it was the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, yes. The building looks interesting. But I'm going to say, why Cleveland, of all the places they could pick right. for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Because, um, said he, um, and not being a, a great student of American music, there's a lot of places with a much greater claim to fame to being the bedrock of music ahead of Cleveland, I would suggest. What do you think, Julian?
0: I'll give you the political answer, Michael, and then I'll also give you the what I think is the real answer. So the political answer is that the first rock and roll concert allegedly took place in 1952 in Cleveland. That's the political answer that actually they wanted to base the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in, in the city which hosted the first rock and roll concert. I think the reality is that these Hall of Fames, however, are commercial organisations, if you run the foundation of a Hall of Fame, what you want to do is you want to get someone to pay for most of the stuff that needs doing. When they originally came up with the idea, a number of cities bid for the uh, pleasure of hosting the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So you had Memphis, uh, you had New York City, you had New Orleans, you had you know a number of different places. Uh, San Francisco was one of the places. Uh, and do you know the song, We Built This City?
1: Yes, I do.
0: By Jefferson, uh, that was actually written in order to attract the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to San Francisco. Oh, that's a good trivia question, isn't it? Uh. So, all of those cities will say why. We'll give a reason why they should host it. But the people who run the foundation, they want financial support, and so at the time. You know, this was the time when Cleveland was, you know, I think it was the early 80s or something when they started looking at this. They'd just come out of the 1970s, which was devastating for them. They were losing huge amounts of population. They were desperate to have some attraction which would bring people to Cleveland. They would argue, um, you know, it should be Cleveland and we're going to invest this money in order for you to bring the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to Cleveland. Okay. Now, you know, they have a rock and roll... Hall of Fame induction process every year. Have you seen that occasionally?
1: Uh, yeah, I I seen it occasionally. And they don't they also have like a um, an offshoot in New York as well. I think they they have premises. That's usually where it's
0: held. It's mostly yeah. held in New York, but yeah. occasionally they've been moving it. I think again, this is part of them making money. They uh, every year they get cities to bid for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction, and uh, you yeah, know usually New York will win that. You know, more recently, they've been spreading it around a bit. So is it the home of rock and roll? No, it isn't in my view. But it does have this museum which uh, celebrates rock and roll. So if you're interested in rock and roll, it's an okay museum. It's a decent museum. Would it attract me to go to Cleveland? Probably not, but it is the main attraction in Cleveland. But I'm interested in some of the other things. And they are? Well, before we do that, what other Halls of Fames do you know about, Michael?
1: Ooh, good question. Not many, but I'm sure there are lots of them in the States. Well, oh, there's probably
0: a thousand or even yeah. more. Yeah. So we've yeah. got the Candy Hall of Fame. Yeah. we got the Toy Hall of Fame. we got the Rodeo Hall of Fame. We've got the Burlesque Hall of Fame. we got the Railway Hall of Fame, Michael.
1: Where, now, where is that, Julian? <laughs>
0: Ontario in Canada.
1: <laughs> no, you haven't got it. In, so it's in Canada.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's North America. They they will place things in Canada if they, if that's that's what gives the biggest bid. They will um, happily base it in Canada. <laughs> So yes you can go to the rail the railroads hall of fame in uh, in Canada.
1: I suppose the hall of fame I, I associate more with people so so typically sports have them don't they so sports have them they, up, yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, and obviously I presume in theater and whatever as opposed right. to trains or you know uh, whatever you whatever. Know, uh, well I mean I
0: actually in a previous life when I was um in the business world I actually looked at setting up a hall of fame. Did you? Yeah, Decided not to do it, but you know, you and I, we could set up a hall of fame if we find a niche and can say, Hey, yeah. we represent a particular the podcast hall of fame.
1: fame. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking on that <laughs> lines myself, that's, that's right. right. And we we, we could set up be a podcast, and members.
0: yeah, and then we could get cities to bid for to host. You know, it wouldn't be a, one of the main cities or something, but maybe a Knoxville or someone would be very interested yeah. In, yeah. in hosting the, the podcast hall of fame.
1: Yes, gone. I bet
0: there's a Radio Hall of Fame. Mm, bound to be. Yeah. The main attraction in Cleveland is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I imagine most people go to Cleveland, will go there, and it's a perfectly decent experience. Okay. But I think there are some other things. I think you mentioned the buildings, and there, there is mm. a very rich arts culture in Cleveland. Uh, they've got a couple of theatre districts, and they've got one square, for example, which I think well, has or had 11 theatres around, you know, in one square. If you like that type of thing, that would be um, something you might enjoy going to the theatre. They got some, a couple of art galleries, the Cleveland Museum of Art is very good. Oh, the Museum of Contemporary Art as well. They got an orchestra, you know, so they've got a lot of that sort of uh, traditional culture as well. So obviously, that's a lot cheaper than the New York City. Yeah, what else did you see that you liked the look of in, in Cleveland, Michael?
1: Not necessarily like the look of, but I obviously was always attracted to sports. So yes. I only mentioned the Cleveland Browns. And we mentioned the change of name from Cleveland to Cleveland. Yes. And change of name for the baseball team. What Do you know what the original
0: Well, Cleveland yeah. Indians, that's how I know yeah. them, because they've been yeah. the Cleveland Indians forever. Uh, but that changed last year. Uh, to the Cleveland Guardians. They actually are now the baseball team with the longest, it was the longest period since they last won the, 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 the World Series, 1948.
1: But they're in the bidding this time, aren't they? Because aren't they the American League Central champions? Uh, no, yes, re- they re- will be. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, the season yeah. hasn't finished yet, but they are going to yeah. win their division. But they have a very good recent record. They're a very good team. They were,
1: yeah.
0: Um, you know, they have an excellent um, bullpen. They hold the record. They had 455 successive games where they sold out their stadium.
1: Gosh, and is their stadium a good one? I was going to ask you.
0: Well, they've changed it. It used to be at the time it was 40,000 and they're getting around about 20,000 now. So, uh, but between 1995 and 2001, uh, they had 40,000 every single game for 455 successive games in soccer in the UK. That wouldn't be that surprising, you know, but given that they play every day some weeks, that's quite a challenge to, you know, fill those stadiums every single day. Uh, but they changed their names uh, and they changed their logo as well. They used to have a, a picture of a of, of a Native American, an Indian, on it, uh, which was felt to be offensive. And they they just decided they were just going to ditch their the Native American heritage and and go with the Guardians instead. And they got the Cavaliers as well, which is an NBA side. So lots of sport for you to watch if you go to Cleveland.
1: Am I right in thinking the Cleveland Browns play in an open air ground? Am I right?
0: Yeah, I think so, yeah.
1: Hmm. I, th- I think they do as well. So, so, it's been, good. I've
0: been past the stadium and it looks open, yeah, so.
1: So it's always good to see them playing in Cleveland after Thanksgiving because, yeah. boy, you, you, you need some stamina to watch the game in those temperatures, I suggest. It's not
0: like Buffalo Bills uh, where yeah, you really need still- stamina, but it's still <laughs> it's snowy it's a cold. lot of the time, like Chicago. It's and, uh, and uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, and it's cold, so. Um.
1: And they never like to host a Super Bowl there, are they?
0: Very unlikely. Well, as you probably know, the Super Bowl, a bit like the Hall of Fame, the Super Bowl is bid every every year, and all of the different cities bid to host the Super Bowl. In fact, they changed their processes recently. They have a a group of, rather than get every team to bid, they have a group of, I think, half a dozen stadiums, uh, and they kind of bid in a sort of rotation, but they're mostly in the south.
1: I was going to say I, I can't recall it being given it played in January. I can't one can't recall one being played in the north. Can you?
0: Yeah, um, yeah. It used to happen. It used to happen, but yeah, uh, okay. these days it's mostly you know places like Atlanta and Miami and Los Angeles and Texas and Arizona.
1: Yep. Yeah. So sports, good. What else can you go and see at Cleveland?
0: As you know, Lorna's a big fan of cemeteries. And the cemetery uh, in uh, Cleveland is a, a very nice cemetery. You know, it demonstrates kind of the history of, you know, what used to be a very uh, rich city and lots of nice buildings and um, shrines and so forth in the cemetery. The Rockefellers, Rockefeller family are, are, are all buried there. So if you like cemeteries, that's a, it's a good cemetery to go to. It has uh, a very, very big amusement park. See the point which is, you know, reckoned to be one of the best amusement parks in the world. Has um, over 100 breweries. So, you know, if you like beer, uh, it's a a pretty good place to go. I know many other American cities also have the same, but has a good pedigree in that area. If you like railways, do you like railways, Michael?
1: How did you know that, Julian? You're so (laughs) insightful.
0: There's a river. That runs through the city, and actually, sort of goes southwards. Coyahoga River Valley National Park has been created out of that sort of uh, out of that uh, you know river valley. You can actually take a train in this national park, Michael. I didn't do it, but you can take a train. I understand that there's a lot of railway infrastructure that you can see. You can see railway bridges, you know, like like you see on Stand By Me or um, A Quiet Place or something. So you can see a lot of that infrastructure if you if you like that, uh, if you're so romantically inclined.
1: <laughs> which, of course, you know I am. So I'll, yes. that's made Cleveland even more attractive to me.
0: There's a, a thing called the Emerald Necklace, uh, which is a 100-mile cycle path which goes through every... One of the very many parks that they have in Cleveland. Some of those views also give you the sort of great views of those, um, you know, of those former railway infrastructure.
1: Is it a green city, uh, Julian? I mean, no, I, I wouldn't say. I, especially, no, no, I mean, <laughs> I think
0: they have parks, but I wouldn't say. You know, my overall impression is it's not a, a green city. It's the Cleveland Clinic is, you know, yeah. perhaps one of the most famous hospitals in the world. It has good. Infrastructure. It has something of a of a metro system and a bus system, but I wouldn't say it is especially green.
1: And do they make much of the waterfront? Because on the the edge of the lake, almost nothing.
0: No, it's 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 actually a disaster from that perspective. You know, when you look at Chicago, which is on the west side of uh, Lake Michigan, uh, they've got beaches, and they really do make a feature of their Mm. of their of their lake. But Cleveland was much more industrial. Apart from see the Point, I can't really think of anything that I have seen which uses the waterfront. It's much more industrial. I mean, there probably are some things, but it's not. Um, you have to remember that Cleveland grew its richness, you know, through industry, through heavy industry. And I think that's a pity. Maybe that's something, you know, in generations to come that they will change that.
1: Hmm. Certainly seems a development opportunity if yeah. you look at what they do with Chicago.
0: There are some nice smaller neighborhoods in, in Cleveland. So Cleveland obviously is divided into neighborhoods, and you know Waterloo neighborhood is you know nice, uh, nice uh, art area, and Fremont is you know. So there are some nice sort of um, neighborhoods, and there are also some not so nice ones. There's you know there's mm-hmm. quite a lot of poverty still in in Cleveland. So, you you probably need to do a little bit of research. You know, obviously, if you're going to the main tourist areas, that's fine. But you probably need to do a little bit of research, you know, before you start exploring, you know, without a
1: plan. It would be fair to say, Julian, sort of, I don't think many British visitors would have Cleveland on their uh, visit list, unless like you and I, I'm trying to knock off cities, i.e. I've, I've seen you know, at least 10 or 20, and I'm thinking, well, we will now go to Cleveland. So from a, a, an attractiveness perspective, although we're sort of selling, it's a nice place to go, realistically, it's not going to be on the list of many UK visitors, is it?
0: That's right, and very few international visitors will go to Cleveland mm. and they're, unless they're going there for business purposes. Yeah. So, you know, I've been there for business purposes and then I've met friends, you know, so that's why I've been there. Otherwise, uh, most international people will not go there, but I think it has its charms. And mm-hmm. I think if you linked it with there's a very thriving Amish community in the in the sort of middle and southern part of Ohio. So, if you mixed it with something like that or or you were going up to, you know, Michigan or, you know, some of the other lakes, um, or even if you were going to Niagara, you know. I think one time mm. we drove up from Cleveland to Niagara. So uh, unless you went there for a weekend, it's not really a destination city. But it's a city a little bit like Atlanta that you might sort of pop in because you were nearby. And when you popped in, you would find that yeah. there was a, there was a lot of stuff that was. Actually interesting. It's a cheap city. A lot of young people are choosing to live there because it has affordable housing and actually good housing. You know, it might be cold in the winter, but, you know, so it has a reasonably thriving uh, youthful population.
1: Okay. So, score? I think
0: I would say it's similar to Atlanta and the score I gave to Atlanta. So I'm going to give it a three out of five. I think it is definitely worth... Seeing if you're in the area, if you can get yourself some theater tickets or go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or go to a sporting thing or cycle around the uh the Emerald Necklace, then mm. uh you would probably come away thinking, God, that was a good time that I had there.
1: So Julian, you've been telling me for some time now that Americans have big houses. Have you and not noticed houses- that
0: when you've been here? Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I'm, I'm always intrigued when I see Americans have basements, don't they? Or yeah, yeah sort, mm-hmm. of, this sort of. And I do have a, a friend based in Canada. When I went in his house, I couldn't believe how much stuff he got stored underneath his house. Yes, underneath his house. So, so, tell me a little bit about what Americans do with all this storage space in their very big houses.
0: Let's do some figures. So, on average, Americans' houses are 50% bigger than the UK. And the average American house is 2,400 square feet. And indeed, many Americans have muck mansions. Have you heard that term, Michael?
1: No, I have not.
0: A muck mansion is a house which is over 4,000 square feet.
1: Okay. And where's the muck come from?
0: As a McDonald's.
1: Oh, right. <laughs> and because McDonald's are over 4,000 square feet?
0: Probably a term of abuse. Okay. If you put muck before something, it probably means don't really like that very much. But there is this trend in, in the recent decades to have these huge houses. We had a, a over 4,000 square foot house when we were in Atlanta. Uh, and the reason we had that house is there wasn't anything smaller in the area that we wanted to live. They were all that mm-hmm. size. Because 10% of uh, houses are muck mansions. Therefore, quite usual for people to have very large houses. Daughter number one, whose house I'm refuging from the the hurricane at the moment, the first house after university that she is renting is probably an average size house. So uh, well over 2,000 square feet. And so she has four bedrooms and she's got two rooms downstairs, which she doesn't use. There's nothing in them. Uh, She's got no furniture in them. So, yeah, it's quite so The last normal. thing I was
1: expecting you to tell me, that the, what Americans keep in all this space was nothing. Well, she keeps nothing <laughs>
0: because, you know, they're just students. They don't yet have the money to buy yeah. stuff to put in these houses. Putting their money aside and they're buying a sofa, well, a sofa is quite an expensive purchase. They got one room, which has got a sofa. That's great. And they got another room, which has got a dining room. That's great. But, you know, they'd need more money to furnish the other rooms, which they haven't done yet. So, and daughter number two, uh, whose house we went to yesterday, she's in student accommodation and they have five bedrooms and all of the bedrooms have ensuite bathrooms. It's got a basement as well. So, it's not only got a, a kitchen and dining room area and a, and a lounge, but it's also got a basement which has another lounge downstairs. Plenty of space, even if you're a, a penniless student. Yeah. So what do they do with the space? I think was your question. Is that right?
1: Mm, Yes. What do they do with the space?
0: So they do lots of different things with it. The main bedroom usually is very large indeed. If I think about the main bedroom that we had in Atlanta, I can't remember quite what its size was, but our huge bed, you know, really felt quite small within that main bedroom. And then we had a huge bathroom attached to it. And then we had three dressing rooms. For, Three dressing rooms. Yeah. Well, Lorna had this kind of large, I guess it was about a 14 foot square room, which she used as her dressing room.
1: And when you say dressing room, what you say it's full of wardrobe space, really. Yeah.
0: Re- all her clothes yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then I had two dressing rooms for my clothes. I had a formal and an informal. Yeah, I did. Because that's what the house came with. You know, I could have left one of them empty, I guess. Thought I'd better fill it. So that takes up, that main sort of en suite room takes up a lot of space. Uh, and many people have that main bedroom on the main floor.
1: You mean on the first floor?
0: On the, uh, like on the floor that you come floor. into the house on, yeah, the ground floor. Okay. Um, so that, that, that takes up a lot of space. Most of the bedrooms come with en suites these days. Anything built these days is largely going to come with an en suite. So if I think about daughter number two's Current bedroom, you know, she's got a bedroom, she's got an ensuite bathroom, and she's also got her own closet space as well, crammed with clothes. Yeah, so they usually have very large living rooms, and if you remember our one in Atlanta, that had a very high ceiling, you know, so that's kind of wasted space. You're not using that upstairs space; you're just having a big room which is two two stories uh, high. Basements, many not not in Florida, but basements are. Very rare in Florida. But elsewhere, basements are fairly normal. Quite often, those will have pool tables or whatever in them. Pretty much every American house will have its own utility room. I know in the UK, it's common that you would have the washing machine in the kitchen. But in the US, that's a separate room. And often, that separate room is upstairs. People will have their utility room upstairs. So when they take off their clothes at the end of the day... They will put it directly into the utility room. At some point, somebody will do the washing, and they'll do the drying, and then they will take that clean clothing directly to the bedrooms. They don't have to walk up and down stairs with their laundry. That's a convenient side. Usually, American houses um, have double or triple garages. And, and again, that's not included within the average you know, floor space of 2,400, but most of these garages here are, are double or triple.
1: But remember, going back to a previous podcast when Grant told us, you can't get your big trucks in the big...
0: No, and and I felt that was a very interesting part of that interview And he was he was, saying, why would you buy a car which wouldn't fit in your garage? You know, it makes no sense. You know, for, for something you're never going to drive cross-country, why would you buy that?
1: Yeah. Even though you have space for three cars, you can buy a car that won't go in the garage. Right.
0: And they have a lot of storage space. And then, of course, 10% of Americans purchase additional storage space. When they've filled up their house, $100 a month, they purchase some space somewhere else which they store stuff which they can't fit in their own house. For example, Halloween decorations, that type of thing.
1: So why are we saying the Americans are a nation of hoarders? They can't throw things out.
0: I don't know about that. They are a nation of consumers. So pretty much every American I know, certainly people who have families, they will have decorations for Christmas, for Halloween, for various different other public holidays, and they will have purchased those things, and they will be in big boxes, and they will decorate that outside of their houses at the appropriate time of the year with those, with those things. They purchase a lot of things, and they may use them seldom, but they need somewhere to store them.
1: You are making me feel much better about my current housing arrangements, Julian. Yes. Um, so let me say for for, for the listeners, uh, I live in a, what is a three-story, yes. um, four-bedroom, two-bathroom, lounge, kitchen, house. house, so a, a big space, um, and on two counts, A, the beloved excessive purchasing of yes. clothes, yes, and B... Uh, The question of things that go with parties like Halloween, Christmas, we have no space whatsoever. In fact, I fear the walls are coming in on me. So um, I'm feeling much better now that the Americans have solved this problem by just buying bigger houses. But I keep going on, why can't we live within the space we've got?
0: Let's just explore why they might have bigger houses. I mean, obviously, there's a reason that you don't have – your house is what? 2,000 square feet, maybe?
1: Yeah, probably, yeah,
0: (laughs) So why don't you have a 4,000-square-foot house? And the answer is probably that would be mighty expensive where you live.
1: Absolutely mighty expensive because land
0: is at a premium. Whereas in the States, land is, in many areas, in most areas of the States, land is not at a premium and land is actually very low cost. And when you look to go to the suburbs... They don't have green belt rules and all of those types of things in, in, in the U.S. suburbs. So it is the land there will be cheap, and it's just the cost of building a house. And there's very little in the way of regulation if you want to buy a new house, which is not the case in the U.K. If you want to build a new house or a new store in Britain, that is a very difficult thing to do, isn't it? It will take you potentially yeah. years to to get approval for that.
1: And in, in fact, there's been a lot of debate, as you know, with the, the new prime minister yes. and the desire of the Tories to boost the economy and actually build more homes. And to do that, they're going to have to scrap a whole series of planning laws right. because it is traditionally very difficult to any development in the UK, particularly because of the Green Belt.
0: Yes. Well, FDR, when he was president, he described it. He said U.S. is a nation of homeowners of people who own a real share in their own lands. And if they do that, the US will be unconquerable. The US had that, that thing, we'll, we'll get people to own their lands. If they do that, then nobody on earth will be able to conquer the US because people, this isn't the US you're invading, you're invading my my home. And that was a—you know obviously the 1930s. So the exception to that, so most areas of the US, land is very cheap. And the exception, there are some exceptions, the constrained cities like, you know, Manhattan, New York City, San Francisco, you know, anything next to a beach, for example. But apart from that, most of it is unconstrained. Of the lower 48, so not including Alaska, which is huge, uh, and Hawaii, uh, only 3.7% of America is urban. So there's a lot of space to move into. You know, it's about 70 million acres, which is urban. And that is increasing by about a million every year. So the size of Houston is being created every year. So if the land is relatively free, and then you're just looking at the cost of building. So the cost per square foot is about $125. So if you want an extra 1,000 square feet because you 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 think you might have decorations to store, that's only going to cost you $125,000 for a new house. And because of credit is very available, there's no such people don't have mortgages here which are variable mortgages. Everyone here gets a 30 year fixed mortgage, even at today's elevated mortgage um, cost, that extra thousand square foot is only going to cost you seven hundred dollars a month. So for many Americans, if they've got a choice of buying a two thousand or three thousand, why not buy a three thousand square foot house because it's not that much more expensive. Than a two thousand square foot house.
1: So we have to address the chicken or egg problem here, Julian. So yes. I'm going to say American like big things. So we talk about big cars. Yeah. We talk about um, big TV screens, yes. big fridges. Yes. So is it <laughs> what comes first, the big house followed by the big furniture, or do we have big furniture and therefore we build big houses?
0: Oh no, it's the house which comes first, and then the furniture is designed for the house definitely. In in the 1970s, the average US house was half the size of what it is today. So, you know, this is a relatively uh, modern phenomenon. And of course, things like the pandemic, you know, there's been a massive move away from, you know, small city apartments to bigger suburban homes as people work from home more. The price of suburban property went up a lot during the pandemic as as people... Move to get a little bit more space
1: and another sort of thought of mine is sort of if you is related to the celebrity culture and and sort of you know celebrity t v and and i'm thinking every time I watch one of the all or nothing series on amazon Prime and it 's following the fortunes of an American football uh, team n f l and they go and into the ha- homes of the players, they have huge matches. You know, a, you, everyone has big rooms right. big. Know, lots of dogs lots of uh hi-fi equipment you know so so again i wonder if sort of when people see this and they say oh that's the thing i aspire to that sort of size is all important in terms of status
0: yeah it is i don't get it i have to say when we moved to atlanta we want to, we moved from hong kong where we had a, obviously a very small apartment and i wanted something similar again you know you don't really use most of this space but I wasn't able to get that easily where we wanted to live for the children's schools so I had to buy a big place now we're looking at you know a relatively small property that's what that's the type of uh, property that we want to live in you know enough space for us to have our own to be able to retreat to our own corner don't want uh, wasted space that we never use it's one of the things where I'm not American most Americans want large properties Mm. Anything else to say?
1: Mulling over, should we talk about American gardens that go with the properties? Yeah. Because like. the other sort of observation you have when you sort of driving around and walking is that unlike in the UK where people are very defined on boundaries by putting sort of fences or hedges right. up, in, in on American states that's not the case, is it? They, no. they they are very open. So so where one man's lawn starts and another one finishes, it's interesting to see. So impression of space isn't just the house but the land on which it sits on would that be fair
0: oh definitely fair yeah i mean very few properties will have fences around them the only time they might have a fence around them is if they have animals or something for the most part yeah it just seamlessly moves into the next person's and in fact when it comes to cutting lawns and things often i would be doing part of my neighbor's lawn and he would be doing part of my lawn yeah. I mean, there is a boundary, and there's you know a document if you ever needed to refer to it, but it's not delineated by anything physical.
1: And, and is that sort of Americans trust their neighbours more than they do in the UK? Because, because we, I, I maybe it's a size of the UK, but we are very territorial. And and if you if you're following the courts almost once a month there'll be some dispute between neighbours that got completely out of hand and it'll normally over a boundary fence or or whatever. So, yeah. Ma- Americans are sort of less uptight about boundaries and space? Well, they
0: have a lot more space. I mean, Americans call their garden the yard. You know, most American gardens don't have a lot in the way of plants. Most Americans don't do their own yard work. They will hire somebody to come in and a gang of People will turn up, and in half an hour they'll cut the lawn and they'll spruce everything up, blow the leaves away, and it'll look pristine. There's not much in the way of plants or flowers or anything. Hmm. And in fact, usually the word garden means vegetable garden. That's what an American will, will think of when you say garden. Whereas in Britain, many British people, their main hobby is gardening, isn't it?
1: Yeah, very popular pastime. And, and pride in gardens, you know, and and I, I'm going to make one of those terrible generalization, going to the a bit about the garden and growing. I mean, not many people have uh, vegetables grown. They, they, we still have allotments where people right. do that. But by and large, most people's garden is lawn, it's plants, it's bushes, it's trees, you know, uh,
0: there are allotments here as well. I saw some in New mm. York City. Um, you know, so there are some in, in various different mm. places. And often there are a lot of rules on what you can have in your yard. Oh,
1: well, really? So, chance. Yeah, give me an example.
0: Well, <laughs> we regularly received, because we did our own yard work, we didn't get a gang of people to come and do our our, our lawns. Often our lawns weren't quite as pristine as our neighbours. So we would regularly get letters from the Housing Association telling us that we needed to improve our yard. Otherwise, they would take action against us. Gosh. So, it was just the downside of this. Um,
1: and of course, I visualise when you say yard, I, I see cement. Right, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. A, that's what a British <laughs> person thinks of <up> with <laughs> yeah. a yard. So, 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 how you improve the yard in this room. that's interesting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whereas the yard in America is a, basically a piece of lawn, maybe with a few trees in it. In general, people would have, they'd have a lot of mulch. People would use a lot of mulch. You okay. Know, and they might have it in different colours. They look fantastic and you go around a lot of these um subdivisions does look very clean and tidy but basically Um, the rule is that your yard should be a credit to the neighborhood it should keep the prices of houses high and the quality of people in the in the neighborhood high as well so therefore they set okay standards that you've got to adhere to
1: so where do they see because again a very common feature looking at a yard would be the baseball or basketball hoop or the, the yes. contraption This ball's on. Now, does that add to the value or detract from the value? Because, again, I'm thinking when I'm driving around, you see quite a lot of that, don't you? Yeah, yeah. That's, at that's at the front.
0: That's at the front. And that's always on the on the drive, you know, before yeah. the before the garage. I mean, I think, ideally, most neighbourhoods would like to get rid of those, but it's kind of very American, so they – reluctantly have to allow them. I would say pretty much every family, especially with boys, they would have a basketball hoop in their in the yeah. front drive.
1: Yeah. and going back to the, the what I call the resident association or the, the looking after the yeah. the quality of your yard, would that extend to the backyard as well then?
0: No, it would only extend to uh, what could be seen by others. Seen. Yeah, okay. But yeah. of course often your backyard can be seen. Yeah. I mean, our backyard could be seen if you, you remember it. Um, yeah. And actually, our front yard was less commonly seen. If it can be seen, then that's what they're concerned about. If it can't be seen, they don't care. The color that your house can be painted, uh, there are approved hues, Michael. Okay. So, yeah, they give you, you know, it's, it's quite a reasonably extensive list of approval. But if you paint your house a non-approved hue you will be instructed to return it to an approved hue.
1: I live and learn. I live and learn. So that's why Americans have so much space, is it?
0: Well, because they can, I think, is the yeah. simple answer. Yeah. If they yeah. can. If I had a magic wand and a, a fairy outfit, and I said, Michael, you know, I can grant you an extra thousand square feet in your house, what do you think Joan would say?
1: I would say she would fill it in less than two weeks. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, you know, although she claims to be Scottish, perhaps she is secretly American.
1: Yeah. She definitely would like all that extra space, there's no doubt, but I am absolutely confident she would be capable of filling it in very short order. Right. That concludes episode thirty-seven. So, what are we do on episode thirty-eight, Julian? Well, before we do that,
0: I do have a fact that I uh, learnt this week from Amtrak, the uh, railroad provider in the US, Michael.
1: Oh, and is this alluded to the favourable review we had from Simon Gosney's and Mine's Amtrak or Railway Edition? Because we have had a. Good- I haven't heard of this review.
0: Oh, tell me the oh, review, I, and then I, I'll give you the fact. I, well,
1: I, I, I would need, need to check, but you, you sent it to me, so, so I need to put my uh, did I? Yes,
0: I should do more of sending. I do receive things from time to time, nice things. I, I keep meaning to send them to you.
1: Sarah Selby. Oh, yes. So you've got one fact on to Tell me.
0: Yeah, so what does Sarah Selby say, if that's not difficult to say?
1: She enjoyed the special on Amtrak That's and was considering a train, a train uh, journey in the US. So you go for it.
0: I'm sometimes tempted to do that, yeah. but maybe this fact will put her off. So my fact: every three hours, someone in the US is hit by a train.
1: Every three hours.
0: Every three hours.
1: That's the reliability of their their timetable.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think most of the people hit by a train are people who, I mean, you have all sorts of very clever ways of um, stopping people going over rail tracks like bridges and tunnels and stuff. But in America, most of it is, um, you know, either you've just got to look left or right, or there's just a, a, a short barrier and people are just lazy and they just see a barrier yeah. and they just go around it and they're hit by a train.
1: I'm going to postulate there are two facts that give you that stat, Julian. Yes. The first one is that you have very long freight trains. Oh, yeah, we do. And secondly, Americans have very little patience. That's so right. when they see a train coming, yeah. they think, I'm going to outrun it.
0: Lorna, in particular, loves the very long American freight trains. I mean, they are yeah. miles long. and They don't go fast, so you could easily be waiting I mean, easily five minutes, and and often it seems like 10 or 15. So, yeah, yeah, I can sort of understand it. Every three hours, that's that's not a good health and safety record.
1: I may have to send it to more or less to check that stat. Where did it come from? It came from Amtrak. I would have thought that's a decent source, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. If anything, they're going to would... want to downplay it. So no, we hardly ever why, hit anyone. Why <laughs> would they
1: publicising that stat?
0: Because I think they were trying to persuade Americans not yes. to not to go Jumping around of yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Okay.
0: I mean, they have a shocking safety record generally. The number of crashes that their trains have is, you know, is quite shocking.
1: So you've done <laughs> as much as you can to put Siri off travelling by a train?
0: I th- think I would like to go by train in America.
1: Yeah, good. So will be episode 38.
0: No, no I myself. think this one was episode 38. Next uh, one will be 39.
1: We, episode 39 then. So we're going to New Orleans, aren't we? Yes. We're going to look at conspiracy theories. Yes. Yes, and yes, I'm looking forward to that. Um, and we're going to talk about tailgating. It's goodbye from me and it's...
0: It's goodbye from him.